Welcome back, everybody. This is Power Hour with Bullish Rippers, round two. Let's just call them rounds, something like that. Uh, you know, if anyone's unfamiliar, Power Hour is typically that 3 to 4 p.m. EST part of the market where things start getting rolling, and sometimes you'll see some flushes or some movement upwards. We're going to be, you know, going around with the speakers. You can either give your thoughts on the market for today, if you have any plays that maybe you're taking going into tomorrow, anything of the sort. We'd love to hear it. Let's start making our way through a roof, uh, and around. Exclusive, you want to go first? Hey, what's going on, everybody? Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, you know, today was pretty much uh, as expected. You know, play the run up and then play the run down. So, um, you know, I wasn't too over eager, you know, with loading up in positions just because, you know, it's it's always a, a tail sign, you know, that something's going to, you know, people are going to get trapped and usually the bull traps are set in a specific way. So um, that's how it looked. So I didn't get too crazy as far as call options and long positions. Um, in fact, I even played a few short positions today. So those paid um, right now. I'm just kind of in that lull phase. I actually stepped away for two hours because it was, it wasn't worth my time, you know, paying attention. So, um, you know, I'm back in now and I think I'm taking a long position on Tesla just to hold um, because I got profits from a previous Tesla trade at the open. So um, taking profits from that, rolling it to a new position and I'll hold that overnight because it's risk free. Um, other than that, you know, if there was a couple of names that I came in and out of Microsoft, um, Lee, Amazon puts, shop puts. Um, I played Blackberry on the breakout, but um, you know, there's, it's just, it's not really a swingers market. It's more of a scalp market. So um, I'm just going in and out. And the only thing I'm going to be carrying overnight are runners and uh, risk-free position on Tesla. Okay. So risk-free position on Tesla. And what were the other runners? Were they also on Tesla? Yeah. So I've got runners in uh, Microsoft, Lee. Um, I have, I just closed out the rest of my um, Amazon and Shopify puts. Um, I've got some calls going in for now um, and Caterpillar and uh, Visa. And I've got a couple swings from last week, but um, one of those are a earning swing risk-free lotto from last week on Netflix. Obviously, that big run-up from the news was um, what paid for that position. So, um, yeah. And some city city group calls as well. Those aren't... Those were paid, you know, I think about a quarter position was paid for last week. So, um, those are risk-free for me too. Okay, awesome. All right, Evan, I didn't really give you kind of time to preface if you wanted to throw something out here as we get rolling now that we have a couple, a few hundred people in here, if you want to, you know, preface with anything and then we can keep it going. Not going perfect so far. I'm just excited to get around the table. Make sure you're following Bullish Rippers, the Green Raccoon. Uh, for all these bunch of these spaces, we're going to have four going this week. Uh, and that's going to be a constant thing ongoing into the future. Make sure as all of our speakers are speaking up here, you are following every single one of them. They are all, are all top quality speakers, top quality accounts. You know, they're, they're saying some great stuff up here and their feeds are going to be that much better. So make sure you're checking every single person up here as Ruben on and I'll let us get right into it. Okay, perfect. Catherine, would love to hear from you. Hello, hello. So, as a journalist, I'm kind of looking at the market from a headline perspective and then also, you know, what the sentiment life is like overall. So for me, I'm definitely taking a look at how the interest rates looming is affecting how people are buying and selling. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people go out today and say, buy the dip. Some people are telling me that they're just holding right now. Um, then, of course, bank earnings because the operating expenses from JP Morgan and um Goldman Sachs and City, for that matter, are telling. 
and I and I definitely want to see what Morgan Stanley has to say to kind of sum up what the financial sector looks like and how that will lead the rest of earnings season. And then, of course, I have to mention the Activision and Microsoft news um, because that's a huge deal. Obviously, everyone's speculating about the metaverse, but it's also just a huge deal in the video game space. I mean, this is one of the largest deals, if not the largest. Um, and it's telling from how Microsoft could expand into the metaverse, but also how they could expand in the video game space and really go up against Sony. What's your favorite video game, Catherine? Oh, The Witcher, hands down. Good choice, good choice. You know, for me, it was a big day as I'm a big Overwatch player. So now we have life. So I'm excited to see what happens. Okay, honestly, I'm also very excited because I would love to see what Microsoft has to do with the Overwatch League. I've been covering the Overwatch League for like four years now. Yeah, well, listen, if they can do anything even marginal, it will be better because they really haven't done anything. Wait, so I, I did a quick Google search, Catherine, on what you were saying about video games and seeing if it was the largest acquisition ever. This is from Wikipedia. Grain of salt is 100% needed on this. It does say it's the largest by a, a decent bit. It's saying the second largest video game acquisition of all time was Zynga, which was from two weeks ago, uh, which was $12.7 which is way off where we're at here. So, again, I'm going to dig deeper. This is just Wikipedia, the first place I'm looking, but uh, it seems like it might be the largest video game acquisition of all time. I trust Wikipedia. There we go. All right. Brad, you seem to enjoy that. Would love to hear from you. You know, I think that you've been making some ads, right? Uh, so no accumulating existing positions, but I did start a position in PayPal, which is my first uh, new position in, in almost a year. So so <clears throat> pretty, uh, pretty exciting day for me, I guess. Um, I'm not ready to to give the the 20 minute um, lecture on, on why I think it's a good investment, which I, I don't think this is a good format for that anyway. But uh, I'm happy to talk about it for a few minutes if you guys want me to. But but yeah, yes, that. Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. Um, so I, I told Twitter when I was going to do it that it was going to be uh, a 3% initial cash infusion into the company. So, so 3% of my overall capital. I decided to make that two and a half, just a little bit more conservative, a little bit more leeway. Um, like some of the speakers were talking about, macro is extremely volatile and uncertain right now. And just want to go slow, kind of tiptoeing it into the name. Um, but but in terms of why I like it, and, and I'm, I'm thinking a lot of this information is not going to be uh, new to a lot of people, but but it really is the ubiquitous, along with Cash App, the ubiquitous piece of, of uh, financial technology for connecting, transacting, verifying, and completing um, payments and really bridging the integration gap between payment processors and the digital payment flow. So um, it, enable, it enables this digital transformation of payments also, while really without creating this inherently... Um, uh, this inherent side effect that we've had to deal with in, within other industries of, of rising rates of fraud when things move from offline to online. Um, so it's, it's really taken, it's really taken that, that fraud liability um, on its shoulders and, and helped merchants to more seamlessly and more palatably uh, digitally transform without having to accept that side effect. Um, so it, it's the most accepted digital wallet in the world. 75% plus of the largest mer merchants in the world uh, have, have PayPal as an option at checkout. Uh, 29 million merchant accounts, 348 million consumer accounts. That number is still growing north of 20% year over year. And then really my, my favorite piece of the company uh, by far and, and what I use uh, the most from the company is, is Venmo. Um, it is a juggernaut. It, it's the really the only app I use uh, to, to pay friends and family. Um, doesn't really do much else at this point, which is one of the reasons why I like it so much, which may sound counterintuitive, but I'll try to explain it. So what I what I think from that is there's significant low hanging fruit for enhanced customer LTV lifetime value um, if it can season uh, the product roadmap. 
it's way behind Cash App at, the, at this point in time. And that's really one of the reasons that I like that. I think there's more um, more opportunity to monetize the massive Venmo base that we that we currently have um, versus Cash App just by virtue of us being so so, so much earlier on. Uh, that also inherently lends itself to more execution risk. But um, for a company like PayPal, I'm, I'm comfortable taking that added execution risk. Um, we, we've got thing, things like Venmo Pay, so early signs of them starting to branch on or branch beyond um, peer-to-peer, which is really still all that Venmo is. They have a couple other products, but it is still really predominantly peer-to-peer. But we've got things like Venmo Pay that are going to launch on Amazon and Booking.com and Fanatics and GoFundMe and Walmart and AliExpress and all these gigantic um, e-commerce marketplaces and, and websites. And, and the momentum is really resulting from the end of a restrictive operating agreement between PayPal and its and its parent company that that spun off eBay, um, that this was keeping PayPal from working with dozens and dozens of marketplaces. Um, so the cuffs are really off for PayPal to go and pursue these new clients, but they're also off for eBay, um, which means they're also seeking other avenues uh, beyond PayPal and and seeking other uh, substitutes and, and competitive offers for for uh, for for. Uh, ex- exporting some of the third-party services they don't they don't perform on their own. So total payment volume TPV for eBay actually with PayPal declined 45% year over year. That's only 3% of its volume, but it's still leading to this uh, short-term headwind and short-term pain um, that I think along with rising rates and and it having a 50 earnings multiple at its peak um, is is contributing uh, to to the recent pullback we've had. But for Venmo specifically, they're sitting at a quarterly. Uh, total payment volume run rate of $60 billion. That's growing 36% year over year. Hard to fathom that scale and that kind of growth. Um, it pr- puts it in pretty elite company, um, in, in my now very biased opinion. Um, and again, this massive install base is is that much more right for cross-selling um, other money and investment and loan products because they really haven't tapped into that yet. They, they say they're going to, they continue to say they're going to. Um, and I'm putting faith in the management team to actually uh, evolve this from a really really one product offering or, or main product offering to to a super app that they're really uh, going after this this cliche term that everyone's pursuing. But um, PayPal has the money, they have the expertise, they have the track record to, to pull it off, in, in my opinion. Um, so they have a long, long way to go uh, to, to get here uh, or to get to that super app status. But um, and, and the heavy spend that they're they're currently putting forth to develop this product roadmap is currently hitting margins. Um, so, so kind of compare or, or juxtapose this with, with eBay's total payment volume declining. And there are some real headwinds that PayPal is dealing with right now. But what, one of the reasons that I like these headwinds so much and it, it is because they, they are, in my opinion, temporary. And, and this spending that, that PayPal is making, in, in my opinion, is vital. Um, the SoFi's of the world are coming, uh, the, the Dave.coms and, and all of these, these young fintechs that are spending like drunken pirates to build out their own product roadmaps. That's nothing against SoFi. I have a position in SoFi. I'm a big fan of the company. But there are, I mean, this is financial technology and banking is largely commoditized. So so the competitive landscape is going to be daunting and is going to continue to get more and more daunting. So PayPal really, they're, they're in a phenomenal position to, to leverage this massive install base they have with Venmo to continue again, sorry to repeat myself over and over again, but to continue enhancing LTV so that they can launch things like high yield savings products um, planned for next year we're, we're, so that they can actually differentiate themselves in the sea of competition. Um, other things like the Honey acquisition from a couple of years ago pushes PayPal further up the shopping process or the shopping chain and makes it a more centralized piece of discovery and discounting. So it gives it um, more revenue per client um, or, or more revenue for, per customer opportunity. And they're also tapping into new verticals like buy now, pay later. Really not my favorite uh, piece of financial technology, which is why I uh, prefer the smaller acquisition that PayPal made 
um, versus Square making kind of a larger acquisition to, to enter the space. Uh, they're also entering cross-border sh shopping, pursuing that really aggressively. And then we, we have to, to, to kind of combine this with the fact that um, when we overcome this eBay headwind, we're going to go back to this being a very consistent 18, 19, 20% revenue compounder with a 21% cash flow margin. And after this recent pullback, it now supports a 20% or I'm sorry, 20 times EBITDA multiple and 30 times earnings multiple. So it's really in that that growth at a reasonable price range. Um, and, com and, and then combining that with the fact that I think there's so much opportunity left for Venmo if they can figure it out and if they can start to close the gap, the innovation gap between Venmo and Cash App, which is pretty large. Um, I, I think this can be a, a growth at a reasonable price investment that can deliver for a long time. And then just want to run through who the, the president and CEO is, Dan Schulman, and why I have so much confidence in them eventually figuring that them out, eventually figuring things out, even though it's taken them a little, little bit longer. Um, his track record is is absolutely phenomenal. So I don't take last door ratings seriously unless there are 5,600 reviews like we have here. Um, he's got a 93% glass door score. He was a president at Amex at Sprint. Um, he was a president at AT&T for 18 years and, and at the CEO of Virgin Mobile and Priceline, uh, the former ch chairman of the board at Symantec. So just just a, a pristine track record that gives me confidence that they um, that they will be able to catch up and close this gap. And, and the closure of that gap will be extremely lucrative for shareholders, especially given the fact that we've gone from the, the peak, which um, which was I think it's, it's given up about 43 percent off the highs to where we are today. Um, just seems like a really compelling point for me to start a position and to um, to put in that 2.5% of my cash up front and then to slowly inch in another 1.5% of cash over time. So that was probably too long, uh, but but thank you for, for indulging me and, and, happy to, and, and always happy to talk about the stocks that I own. Really good stuff there, as always, from Brad with the experts on long-term investing that you will find on FinTwit and is always clearly able to enunciate his bull or bear case in either scenario. Evan, do you have any follow-up questions on that? Um, I mean, I've been adding to PayPal. I love the thoughts there. I love seeing Brad getting into something there. Honestly, man, I kind of want to save it and love that to save that and get a little more into that for the long-term investor space. Um, I want to keep something fresh that you kind of dig your DD in. So I thought that was amazing. And honestly, like that was such a great explanation, but, but yeah, um, on that. And overall, back to Catherine's point, I, sorry, I know we're going back to I did double check it on the source that was better than Wikipedia. It was the largest acquisition of all time, the largest video game acquisition of all time. Put it out tweet from Rippers, actually. Sweet. Awesome. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Evan. Okay, Sarge, let's get you involved. How's your day been? Hey, how you doing? Uh, pretty, pretty good. Uh, as you know, we're on some pretty thin ice. Uh, we entered the third week of January, which is typically the weakest week of January and one of the weakest weeks of the quarter. Uh, I think nine of the last 15 third weeks of January have been negative, and the, uh, both the mean and the median for this week are typically negative. Uh, we're coming off December retail sales that were really awful, industrial production that was negative, import-export prices that were net negative for the U.S., Empire State Manufacturing Index this morning, new orders were negative. Uh, GDP now, the uh, Atlanta's model, has been dragged down to 5% from 6.8 for the quarter. Now, 5% sounds awesome, but you got to realize this is a, a rapid deceleration throughout the quarter. So it's not really so fantastic. Uh, this is a weakening economy that the Fed is in the position of having to tighten policy into. Uh, currently, futures trading in Chicago are pricing in a full percentage point increase for rate hikes by November and a 40 percent chance of a fifth rate hike by December. So that's a bit that's that's pretty dangerous. We've seen the yield curve move higher 
Uh, the 10 year is paying one, I think, uh, 1.86% right now. It was paying 1.7% on, on Thursday. The two year is paying about 1.04% right now, up from 0.89% on Thursday. And the three month is paying about 15 basis points, up from 11 basis points over the same time frame, which means that the whole yield is moving. We're not in the danger of seeing any kind of flattening right now, but it, but everything's going to cost a little more. And this is going to hurt real estate and a few other areas of the economy while likely benefiting traditional bankers while not the entire banking space. Uh, for that reason, I did add some JP Morgan on this incredible dip uh, that they really got hit in the teeth here. I added some Disney last week on the, on the Guggenheim downgrade. Uh, I did, I, I already established, but I maintained a long position in Microsoft based on Satya Nadella's move this morning with, uh, with Activision Blizzard. Cause I, I, I really believe this CEO is one guy who is really always on his game and always ahead of the curve. And I love the way he almost always gets every segment of this business operating at or above capacity. Uh, technically the S and P 500 has broken contact with the 50 day. That's a negative. The NASDAQ composite is trading below the 200 day, which is really dangerous, but it has not yet broken contact. So if you get a rally tomorrow, you might be okay there. Uh, as far as short-term trades, uh, I have a bearish setup going on in the options market in, uh, in Lucid. Uh, I'm toying with taking profits tonight and not chancing uh, losing those profits by tomorrow if it goes against me. I'm, I have a bullish equity in Bank America for tomorrow because I, I expect it to act more like Wells Fargo on the numbers than I would on uh, the way J.P. Morgan or Citi or, any, or Goldman acted because it, it does rely more on traditional banking than those other names. And Wells Fargo is kind of the king of traditional banking. And just an interesting note, I tried the short uh, DWAC today once it got above $87 and I could not get the borrow. So I thought that was interesting. Can you explain to people audience who aren't familiar with what that means? Well, when you short when you short stock, you know you have to borrow it from somebody who owns it, and there are no shares available. So I was not able to get any. I am unable to short that stock because I can't borrow the shares. So pretty much everybody had the same idea, or nobody's allowing their shares to be borrowed. One or the other. Uh, I would imagine that maybe everybody had the same idea. Yeah, essentially, like a lot of people were trying to short at that moment, and there weren't any more shares available for right. you to grab. Right. There's probably not a skillion. I didn't look up what the float is, but there's probably not a skillion shares of this stock. Let me see if I can t just quickly tell you what the float is. Not, not available. <laughs> My service says the float is not available. So I can't tell you how big, yo, how many. Yo, there's 30, 30 million shares outstanding, but I don't know what the float is. So Stock talk. We need that app. <laughs> so anyway, I couldn't get the borrow in DWAX. I thought that would be, and it would have been a good short. It's down two bucks from where I would have shorted it. So, oh, well. Okay, awesome. Any other opportunities you're seeing for the rest of the week? I uh, I don't know. I'm not really sure how to play Netflix. It's been getting its tail kicked. Uh, I don't. They're raising prices, uh, which is the cool thing to do these days. But uh, I think they're over already overpriced relative to the competition. I don't find them that much a superior service, if at all, to the other streaming services. And quite frankly, I I can subscribe to four or five services for the price of Netflix. So uh, that's that's an internal household argument here at the Guilfoyle home, but uh, I have to let that one go and keep subscribing. Yeah. Listen, you know, we can't, we can't <laughs> argue with the significant others, right? <laughs> take, take that one for the team. They moved up their prices pretty, uh, pretty substantially, right? 
Yeah, they're aggressive, and they did it last year too. So, I mean, obviously, they they're feeling the burn a little more than everyone else. I think you know. I mean, Disney has the cash flow machine behind them. As long as we get past COVID and stay past COVID, uh, Apple has a cash flow machine behind them. Amazon has a cash flow machine behind them. These these other streaming services, or at least a lot of them, Viacom, CBS, they have other areas where they make where they make a ton of dough and they can subsidize losses for the short term in in streaming. But really, Netflix has to either buy the stuff or make the stuff and they don't have other businesses. So they, they feel it more than everyone else. If, uh, if people turn away from them or away from streaming. Perfect. Thank you, Sarge. I'm going to keep it rolling before we go over to stock talk, just for anybody that's listening. If you've been a regular on Twitter spaces, you've probably heard my voice. I am a golf Blackberg and I run the Wolf financial account, which you can see up here co-hosting this bullish rippers account is kind of becoming a love child of the perfect mix of spaces and tweets. You've got Evan stock market news, up here also co-hosting an amazing tweeter of all sorts of financial information. And he's putting a lot of the tweets that you see on this timeline. And then I'll be hosting spaces from this account in addition to him. So if you're not already following the Bullish Rippers account, but you are following ours, you'll definitely want to be following this one as well to catch the content that we'll be producing and speaking about from this account. That's Is there a calendar, Wolf? Is there some some calendar where we can go to, to see all of this information? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you about to ask that? <laughs> that, that, that that's my line, so you skipped out. Just ignore whatever Brad said. Yeah, when 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 Brad when Brad said that, it, I imagine Gerg like this is the um, yeah. I don't know if y'all have seen like the Gucci meme where he goes. Yeah, that is exactly what I imagine right there. So <laughs> just that was quick, right? All right. With that being said, I will go to the calendar. But after we get through all of our speakers initially, and I want to throw it over to Stock Talk first uh, to talk about, you know, how your day in the market was and opportunities for the rest of the week as we go through this power hour. Yeah, I mean, this isn't going to come across as, uh, I guess, contrarian, but today was a fucking amazing day for me. Um, we put played a couple plays. Um, played Neuro in the morning from 5.55. Shout out to my brother, Mass Trades, for that. He uh, tipped me off on it, put it in our Discord, and it was a great play uh, that ran pretty much 48% right off the rip at open, paid really well. We also were in um, the $35 121 and 128 puts for Lucid. Those printed today as well. The, the 121 puts were up 90%. And the 128 puts were up, uh, I think, 60% at the peak, a little bit more than that. And then uh, I also played uh, CFVI calls this morning, which I put in my Discord as well. But um, I saw DWAC get off to a ripper this morning, did my typical sympathy trade check, saw CFVI was red, which made no sense to me because they typically trade in lockstep um, ever since Rumble started kind of exposing that relationship between them and uh, Trump media. And so I basically grabbed the calls this morning while it was red. Uh, stock ended up running like a little over 10% today, uh, almost 11%. Uh, and those calls ripped. Uh, they ran from a 40-cent entry this morning to 130, uh, which was a nice 225% gain on those. Uh, but so those are the four things I traded today. Neuro... CFVI calls, uh, Lucid puts, and Rivian puts, and they all paid very well. Um, so, yeah, really good day uh, trading-wise. My long-term portfolio obviously 
didn't love it today, but um, you know that I expect that to happen when we get broad selling and in high growth, high multiple names, because my long-term portfolio is really concentrated in a lot of those types of names. So, you know, uh, without, you know, regarding that, my, uh, my trading portfolio did really well today. Just happened to pick the right plays, a little bit of luck, a little bit of awareness, but um, I kind of love that on days like this where the broader market is weak, uh, still being able to outperform. It's a good sign. It's a sign that you're doing something right. So, um, I enjoyed that little experience today with, with those three or four trades that I took. Nice, man. Yeah, I think we were talking, did you, you brought up, or you and Gerg, I think we're both talking about CFBI this morning in our space, right? Oh, yeah, I was the first one to bring this up right in the morning. B-Walk was up like 5% on no news and this was red, so it made no sense. Like, Dr. Fred, right? They usually move with each other, so... When you catch the other one on the opposite direction and there's no news, get some calls. Go. Yeah, I usually don't play weekly calls, but when there's a lagging sympathy trade, that's one of the situations where I, I really try to play weekly calls, and it worked in this case. Um, you know, mostly just because I'm looking for an immediate move. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not holding any of these CFVI calls overnight. I mean. Could it run more tomorrow? Sure. But, I mean, I made 225% on a day trade. I'm so fine with that. Uh, and I think, like, you know, uh, that's the thing about sympathy trading. Like, it's not always going to – sympathy is always, not always going to fire off. But, you know, there are a handful of sympathies in the market where, you know, once you've seen them move together enough, you can kind of rely on the move to be found eventually. And maybe the pop won't be sustained. But if you're disciplined – and you're in weekly calls and you get that pop and you take profits quickly enough. Um, in this case, you really didn't even need to be that adept, right? These calls went from 40 and 50 cents in the morning and pretty much stayed above uh, 65, 70 cents for the entire session. They made like three separate runs to nearly a dollar. And then um, towards the end of the session kind of broke through that. And, and we got the test at one uh, thirty, where there was rejected, but I mean, 40 cent move to, to one thirty in a day is really nice on those premiums. So I was uh, very happy with, with how that turned out. Fantastic. And with this, right. So CFVI, it tends to lag behind DVAC, right? So DVAC is the main pack. Whenever you see a big news with DVAC, a CFVI tends to be flat for the first 10 15 minutes, but after that, it usually moves with DVAC. So keep that in mind. If you see DVAC running, don't try to catch that. Move on to CFVI in the short term. So, any other, so before you go to you, Greg, any other uh, plays for the week stock talk? Any other plays for the week? What do you mean, like for the rest of the week? Yeah, anything maybe you're grabbing in the last 30 minutes today? No, I'm not in. A, I'm not in a rush to add anything at the close here. I, that's the one thing I try not to do when I have, you know, good days like this. Is just throw away the profits at the end of the day, like chasing something for the next day. I'll, I'll wake up tomorrow morning real early as I usually do and build my trade plan for the day. Um, you know, I'm, I don't day trade every single day, but you know, when I do, I try to be aggressive. If I see a theme that's running or an opportunity that is kind of like jumping off the page to me but you know i'll be up at, at three to, tomorrow morning and i'll see what pre-market looks like and i'll see if there's any new themes to trade for tomorrow but you know for today i'm i'm, I'm kind of done with it i don't want to force any trades you know at the close here so um i'm chilling definitely fair cool how about you Gert? day in the market plus anything that you're grabbing in power hour 
So, so far, I haven't made a single trade in almost 10 days, and I have no plans to, but for tomorrow, I'm watching Lucid, right? So, Lucid, finally, after all the waiting, we have the big unlock coming up. So, let me go to the basic, right? I just uh, shared the thread on that. So, that's the, the share unlock. 70% of the shares of Lucid will go live tomorrow. So with that, the number you get is almost 1.2 billion. So the last time we saw an unlock like this, that was back in September. We only had 160 million shares going live. And the stock uh, dropped almost 50% in two weeks. That was 150 million shares. And this one is 1.2 billion shares. Almost six times the previous drop. And this is all in a single day. One more interesting thing, the float of Lucid will go up by 500% in one single day. And with that, right, so 62% of the shares go live tomorrow. And I think 61 of that is owned by the Saudi PIF, a public investment fund. So these guys just put in around a billion. And the billion that they invested in Lucid is worth over 30 billion now. So... They had the healthy return of 3,000%. But I think at the end, they still maintain a 51% majority stake and control the company. But they end up selling 170 million shares. And with that, if they go once, start to sell that, that should take them over a week at least. The good thing about this is they own more than 10% right of the company. And when you do that, you do fall with an SEC whenever you buy or sell a big chunk. So whenever they start to sell, we will get to know. But if they try to dispose it off as quickly as possible, you will see large sell-off too. So if they if they start to sell, the stock will drop easily 10 to 130%. So. But the only downside with that is, right, it's hard to borrow Lucid. Almost no prime brokers have any shares left. Or, or even right now, right? Most of your brokers that you guys use, even there, they don't have any shares left too. And I think in the morning, you get around half a million shares on 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning. But people are paying almost 80% ball rate on that. So the short trade might be a bit overcrowded already. And the puts are expensive, right? The IV is anywhere between 160 to 450. Like this is very, very high for Lucid. On average, it's it tends to be 120, 110, but it's almost 3x the average. So almost all big moves have been priced in, right? The best way to play this would have been to buy puts or buy calls a week back or even a month back. And even in the last week, right, IV is up almost 40%. So even if the stock went up and you had puts, you would have still made money due to the IV going up. And vice versa, right, with the calls, if you have the calls, and the stock goes down and the IV jumps like it did last week, you would have still made some money. So the most logical and risk adjuster done for this would be for you to sell the calls or puts right before the uh, close to this. So the, the lockup goes into effect tomorrow. And if you don't see a big sell-off tomorrow, almost all of your puts will be down almost 60-70%. So... If you are up, I would take profits because right now the profit is guaranteed. 
and the ivory is crazy, it's still spiking, right? So for you to get the best price on your pots, wait till I would say a couple more minutes, right? So sell them right before close. So same thing with Onyx, right? If you have if you buy puts or calls right before Onyx or a big Ivy or a big impolite move for let's say it could be a battery there right for Tesla, any major event. If you were to sell the calls or puts right before the close of the previous day, you would make the most amount of the money because that's the time IV as IV is the highest, right? That's the time people want to buy it. So if you have lucid ports, selling them right before close would be the best bet. Certainly couldn't hurt to at least lock in a good amount of those profits. And that way, you know, with what's left over, those those runners, you know, you're not able to lose any money. You don't let that trade uh, turn red, you know. And in this case, especially with options, you're not going to be able to set a stop loss, right? And into the open, if it you know was to go up or if it wasn't to fall, like you were saying with this crazy IV, you could see yourself, you know, lose all that money that you just made, but you didn't realize. So absolutely, you know, exclusive. I think I think you, you taught me that that lesson for sure right there. You know, take it, take it off the table, let the profit run, you know, perhaps a little bit, uh, especially if you have several contracts. Don't put yourself in a position to fail. Okay. Yeah, exclusive. Yeah, man. I mean, that's that's just that's the name of the game, especially in a day traders market, which is pretty much what the market is lately. It's it's a race to who can make the quickest profit and then reduce your risk up front. So the longer you're in a trade, if you're wrong, you need to cut it quick. But if you're right, you leave it on. That's it. Absolutely. Cool. So we made our way first through everybody um, kind of around. What's up, Gerd? We should talk about the new deal we had to the, the Activision. Activision deal. So Activision, right, they had the buyout offer from Microsoft at 95 bucks a share, if I'm not wrong. Correct? But there's so many ARP guys that are scared that the deal might not go through. It's almost back at 80 bucks. So you're making 15 bucks a share, but the only downside is the deal might not be approved by antitrust authorities. And antitrust has acted against Microsoft a couple of times. They almost have gotten through with all of the past acquisitions, but... This one is the biggest one I'm pretty sure so far, so that's the only downside. And if you're confident the deal will go through, you can probably take this trade. What do you think, Evan? It's definitely a lot more interesting of a, of a, of a trade now that we're at like closer to 80 than we were at 90. It's still, you know, maybe you play around with it and you do it. I don't know. I, I, when I saw the deal, my first thought was, wow, is Microsoft going to be able to get that done? My second thought was, if they do get that done, Apple, what are we doing with some money? What are we spending on? What are we buying? But so I think that this deal does mean a lot. And I mean, you know, I, I look at NVIDIA and ARM and, you know, see that there could be some pos- uh, some you know problems going forward with it getting through. This isn't a trade I would take, honestly. Um, did I, would I, was I was considering buying Activision before this, this move up? Yeah, probably. But we'll see what happens going forward. Um, I wouldn't take it here though. But Gerg, I thought I think you might have missed the setup there. Um, got a bunch of spaces going on. Was hoping you could uh maybe ask how we how we find all of them. Yeah, so I have a problem. You guys have so many spaces every single day. How can an average guy that works or goes to school or goes to university keep track of all of them? Yeah, both. That's it. Or that's imagine you guys have a calendar or something that one. 
Yeah. No, absolutely. It's a, it's a great question that Gerg asks. And, you know, directly to the point, we do agree. You know, when you have 10, 12, 15, 18 spaces a week, how the heck can you imagine finding all of them without having to endlessly be sitting on Twitter? And, you know, I sit on Twitter all day. I clocked a unhuman amount of hours on Twitter last week that nobody should ever do. However, y'all shouldn't be doing that because you have lives, mental health, things like that, which you care about. So how can you maximize your time on Twitter and find the best spaces that are directly correlated with topics that you're interested in? Simple. Myself, as well as a number of the panelists up here, have collaborated on a free public Google Calendar. The way this works, my DMs right now, wide open. You can slide into them. Stock Market News, his DMs, wide open click on our profile click on the dm button and all you have to do is shoot us your gmail works best with gmail works well with other emails too but gmail is best send that over to us we'll add you right to it We're yeah just if like i want to calendar. leave yep does that tell you if i want to leave no no not at all it's it's are, are free you sure? to try free to use wow. does not uh, does not send any emails if anyone wants to unsubscribe and even better than that Tons and tons of people are now using it. We passed 3,000 people using this calendar on a daily basis. Yeah, Bolas, so yesterday, Bloomberg did an expose on you guys that people that work on Twitter Spaces use that too. Any substantial those claims or are those all bullish? The claims, <laughs> the claims have been substantiated. Thank you, Bloomberg, for running that article on our, on our Google Calendar and you know putting out there our trade secrets. But yes. People who work at Twitter Spaces have reached out and have asked to be on our uh, calendar, as well as a number of other hedge fund managers, CEOs, people with millions of followers have reached out and asked, verified people, all types. So, you know, next thing you know, the street will be, you know, running articles on us on this Google calendar and so much more. So we're excited what's going on with it. But if you're not on it, again, completely free to join, easy to join. All you have to do is shoot a DM to this account, Stock Market News' account, and just let them know. Hey, I want to be on the calendar. Make certain that your Gmail, preferably, or any other email is inside of that DM. And that's all you got to do. It's one step, one click, and you're done. You're on there. And that way, when you go into your calendar, and don't worry about your calendar getting cluttered because you can toggle this on and off very easily. With one look, you'll say, hey, I want to attend these five spaces this week. This week, I know exactly when they are. I'm not going to have to just be scrolling Twitter, but I'm not going to miss this valuable time where I can be learning from. I mean, some of the people up here had, you know, thousand percent returns last year, more than that. Uh, they have massive hit rates. They trade all different types of stocks and styles, cryptos, NFTs, whatever it is, you know, that you're interested in. We bring those people to the forefront and we give them that stage that people can learn from them for free. The goal is to educate tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people this year. So appreciate the setup there, Gerg. Um, appreciate everyone that's joining up on that calendar. Majority of those spaces will be hosted by, uh, this account, the Wolf account at Stock Market News, which you can see up here as the co-host. Make sure following the panelists, everyone that's on here adds a ton of value, and make sure following the host so you can see those spaces at the top of your timeline. Let's keep it rolling with some more Power Hour talk because we've got 15 minutes left. Evan, is there specific tickers you want to talk on, touch on? Do we want to pop back to PayPal for a minute? Any areas you want to hit specifically? I think you said AMC, so. You're How about, I'll give, us, I'll give us 30 seconds on AMC and Jamie if, we, if someone wants to take it. And then I would love to get some thoughts on maybe the sports betting names. Uh, Square PayPal is always a, a great thing to listen at. I'd love to maybe get some thoughts on, you know, large cap China stocks. If anyone has any thoughts there, we haven't done too much talking about them. 
the Babas, the JDs. We should talk um, about Square. Go, go for it. Take it. So with Square, right? So Square, they have a big acquisition coming up in think twelve days. So the Afterpay acquisition that they announced back in last year Q3. So they did file a 10k about that, and the date we got was. 31st of January. I think they're overpaying by a lot for that. And I think Square can easily build the tech in-house and it can be way better. But basically what they were doing were was paying uh, for an overvalued tech company with the overvalued tech company stock, right? So it was all stock deal. But since then, the stock is down 60% for Square. But so with that, right, I think if the deal gets canceled or if they change the terms of the deal or maybe refinance that with some debt, I think Square can easily bounce back 30-40% just from the cancellation of the deal. So any of you guys keeping track of that after pay deal? I feel like Brad probably is. Yeah, not, not really, honestly. Um... I, I mentioned it a little bit. Uh, I think Square is a fantastic company. I think Jack Dorsey's brilliant. And I also think that I kind of agree with Gerg that this was not um, the maybe the, the most efficient use of capital and that maybe building something internally instead of uh, paying top dollar at, at peak BNPL mania. Um, yeah, I don't know uh, how that's going to work out for them, but, but we shall see. I mean, I, I've been wrong about that kind of stuff before, so I'm happy to be wrong here again. I mean, Square, right? So Square has lost almost $80 billion in market cap since the deal was announced. And with that, the earnings were announced too, right? The earnings were phenomenal. Other than that, they have almost no bad news in sense. All of the top line growth is there. They have beaten almost all the estimates that they gave out. So other than, the, other than this deal, the deal to buy out... Uh, Afterpay for thirty billion and Square Equity. Other than that, there has been no negative catalyst. And the deal, when it was announced, was valued at twenty six billion. But due to the Square share price falling, right now it's worth just above sixteen billion. So even here, I think they're overpaying by a lot. We should we should point out that they have gotten swept up in this this uh, indiscriminate growth stock selling that swept up a lot of companies. So that's that's definitely hurting them like it's hurting pretty much everyone else um in in their in that world but but yeah i do i do agree with most of what you're saying i mean even now right i think what's the p of square it's over 100 right if i'm not wrong if that was a question i i do not know the answer <laughs> yes it's almost 140 so even after zell-off it's 140 and at the peak people were paying 350 times i mean it's a clear downtrend i just don't think that you can i mean right here where it is right now would be the area of support, right? You can go back to December, September, and you can see, it, you know, it had that initial during that run up. It had a bounce here, came down, you know. So it has formed some volume here, but if it falls, you know, and falters underneath that, which I think it hundred bucks. Yeah, no, I mean even now it's under one thirty, so it's kind of even already broken through it. And yeah, so you've got a major all time support. The golden pockets at one thirty point seven one, and the base is at one twenty two point four seven. I think that's where if you want, Square might go to fifty bucks. Captain, anything, uh, any word on the street? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm serious, right? Look on the top. So this is what I posted back in December, I think. So this is when Square was at two hundred. I posted six targets: one seventy three, one fifty, one thirty four, hundred and fifty. Two hundred was broken. One seventy was broken 150 was broken and today we broke 134 and the next level is 100 bucks for me then 50 bucks but 
to be completely honest, I would love to watch Square's 50 Rock. Not even a question, so. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested in the topic, uh, but I don't want to go too far down with Square. Obviously, it's been falling. You know, we kind of have seen the news around it. That acquisition is a little bit, you know, more built in uh, and not so recent anymore. Jack Dorsey, you know, moving to full-time as the CEO, obviously, didn't affect things positively from an external, you know, perspective too hard. Um, I was just seeing Catherine. Was there any, you know, any any news that you've been hearing about Square or anything along those lines? Um, with Square, not really. I mean, it's been pretty quiet. I think the really the news from last week I found interesting that they were going to um, uh, they're building a system for Bitcoin miners. I believe. Sorry, I'm trying to Google it now because I, you know, a week of news. Yes. So they were looking. Block is looking to um, build a system for Bitcoin miners, which would be more you know, inclusive. And I think that that would be interesting. And it also shows that Jack Dorsey's serious about his, um, about Bitcoin being the future. Um, and that also ties together with the like Bitcoin techno or the mining technology companies that are going public this year. Um, so in that regard, I think it's an interesting way to watch square but of course like i can't say whether or not you should buy it or sell it at this point because i'm a journalist speaking of journalism what's been the topics of interest today aside from banks and activision um i really like the story about the blank charging um supplying general motors i feel like that is something that especially stock talk uh we talked about that so much on our wednesday spaces um it kind of shows just how much these ev charging plays are going to come into focus um and then something that like also Sarge kind of mentioned in his beginning, but the CME's Fed watch has about a 5.6% chance of a hike at the January 26th meeting, um, which shows to me that maybe we could get a little bit of positive momentum after that meeting. But I mean, it could be that the market's already priced that in and we just kind of keep going with the flow. Any thoughts on that, Evan? Or Sarge? Well, let's Sarge go. You can go with no, it. No, no. I'll kind of hop in after with some more news stories. Go ahead. I, I think that 5% chance in January is just a, you know, some shot takers. I don't think there's any chance they do anything in January. I think in January they set it up. You know, it's like volleyball. Somebody lays the ball up and somebody else does the slam dunk. So uh, they're going to set it up in January. They're going to do, they're going to try to go for the slam dunk in March. But as I, as I tried to mention earlier, the economy is not cooperating. And uh, just take a look at this right here to, to underscore the point. Uh, Chessie is down 3.1% today. Union Pacific is down 3.1%. Norfolk and Southern is down 4.5%. The trains kind of tell you how the economy is doing. And Union Pacific reports on Thursday. Chessie reports on Thursday. And Norfolk and Southern reports next week. Norfolk and Southern is testing the 200-day SMA today. The other two are not quite that bad yet. But I think this is something to really keep an eye on as a as a harbinger of how the first quarter might go economically, coming off of a very weak ending to the fourth quarter. Uh, I I'm thinking, you know, because this is what I was doing while you guys were talking about, you know, square because I'm not trading square. Uh, I'm actually thinking about taking a shot from the long side on a couple of these rails going into these earnings because I, I I think they're. I think they might be overdoing the uh, the sell side today, but it won't be a significant shot. It'll be a trade, not an investment. And I got totally away from what you asked me, but, <laughs> but that's where my brain went. <laughs> so. No, that was good. You know, while we have about seven minutes left uh, till market close exclusive, we'd love to work you back in. Um, just kind of watching you in Discord. Um, you take in any moves that you're comfortable sharing kind of towards the end of the day here? Yeah, man. And and I think it's it's really important to reiterate 
if you have a plan and you have a setup for an execution of an entry and an exit and you have conviction in your trade, it does not matter what the market's doing because at the end of the day, market makers are going to force whatever stock price to whatever target they have where they're going to load up. And I'm only going to make a trade if I'm, I make a trade because I want to make money, not because I want to lose it. So I know what my plan is. So if, if people are trying to make trades, especially in the last hour of the day, you need to be making a trade that you have a plan for. Don't just buy something because it looks attractive or there's, there's relative strength or relative volume because that can go against you really quickly. Um, specific trade-wise, I mean, I, I, I'm honestly a little embarrassed to say, but I like DWAC here. You know, I've been I've been watching it. You know, I put it, pulled up one of the charts, you know, up in the corner of my screen here, and I've just been watching it. So I mean, it, it held 85.10 like a champ. So, you know, I took some short calls here just to scalp into the close, but it's extremely high risk, so it's not worth you know sending an alert for it. So, implied volatility is off the charts. So interesting. So on DWAC, what is kind of your chart looking like? I mean, so so in order to kind of know where the price in a stock is probably going to go is to know where it's been so you know that that's all technicals are is studying previous price action right and psychology so when i see dwac at previous you know weekly highs or monthly highs or monthly or weekly closes that tells me that there's people waiting at those levels and so today that 74 it failed to break on the 13th so people waited, and then when it came back up to that pivot again at 74, people unloaded once it reclaimed the VWAP. So it, it's simple. It's not There's no rocket science as to why something's blowing up. It's just because it's building up. The accumulation is there. The volume divergence, it's all there. The MACD, the histogram is all positive leading up from the 6th of January. So it's not a, a difficult move to find or unearth. It's just paying attention to it. And setting your alerts and waiting for your entry. That's it. Nothing more. But um, again, it's a really fast-moving stock. So if you're not experienced in the market or with your broker, I don't recommend trading it. Yeah, that's actually a great point. I just went ahead and threw that anchored VWAP on from the highs. And yeah, I mean, it just literally exactly like you said two days ago. You know, couldn't really get above it. And then today, right, right basically, I guess after it kind of opened, you know, went right through it. Is that where you went in? And took that position. So you? the position I'm referring to was um, it was like right around 315, 316. So you know, obviously it was after we had the reversal from the very top where people were still buying, and obviously when it started reversing, people panicked. You know, the people that bought the top versus you know waiting for a pullback. You know, because when you see EMAs and MAs even on shorter terms that extended and far away in a high RSI, which means it's overbought, you have to be patient and wait for your entry. So, you know, it's really just a matter of being patient. And, you know, we, this, this is something we talked about yesterday on that space. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we were also looking at this a little earlier in the day. Uh, in the morning, we, I think we're just like watching some of the call flow coming in. And we were seeing that that big, you know, it was, Gerg, it was that big put that came in, right? Yeah, yeah. but that was on the bid, right? So, but it was, yeah, it was bullish. Yeah, 130 and the million, right, in the premium. That's what he told us. Yeah, exactly. That came in on the bid. There was a 1.05 million on and a 130 that was put. And January, right, next year? Uh, yeah, January 2023, exactly. Should have seen that coming. I'm actually going to post that chart real quick. Too, so, DraftKings. 
in the in the in the last thirty seconds, it hit a new low again. Any of you dropping balls there? What'd you say? I like ten more. You like ten more? Oh yeah, let's Why actually the... talk about those real quick. Because somebody wanted me to talk about the sports betting industry, but it has just gotten smacked around. And uh, you know, typically right now is a great time for it. Right? You have NFL playoffs. You've got NBA midseason. You know, I think you still have. I guess you're not in hockey or baseball season. I don't think so, at least. Um, so I guess we kind of are missing out on those. So maybe there's an entry into those, but I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe people are betting more on hockey. I don't know. Do people still watch baseball, Sarge? I love baseball, but I'm old. Young people don't like it. I love baseball. <laughs> it's my favorite I mean, spectator you're sport. Not young though. <laughs> I like going to baseball games for the ambiance, but. I can't watch it on TV. Yeah, no, I like I like the chess game. That's why I like baseball. But I, but my favorite sport to play as a youngster was hockey. So, as a hockey player and a baseball watcher, definitely, definitely. Uh, okay. Just so I want to get this out there one second. It's three fifty-eight. Uh, if any of my readers are in here, I am taking profits on the lucid trades tonight. Uh, I'm not. I'm not hanging until tomorrow morning in case anybody thought they were in bed with me. Just, just a heads up. You got a minute? So lucid is down. 7.5% under there. Yeah. I, had, I, I was long some puts, some $42 puts expiring this Friday, and I was uh, I was short a, a, a bear call spread, uh, 46.50 expiring this Friday. So I, I got out of those. So with this but, right, if you are trading this, the IV is so high, it makes almost zero sense to play the weekly ones, right? You might go buy a call up for two, three months out, but you won't make a lot, so... But nah. for me, I was think, thinking to go short the equity, but there were no shares left last week, so I wondered that. No, nah, I was up 115% on the options trade as in the hole, and uh, I didn't want to chance that going into tomorrow. I figured I'd blow Yo, it. So. Why not sell your so, cost and so, let the gains rise yeah, for tomorrow? Took it off the table. Did you sell all of them? Or I'm done. Yeah, I'm flat. Them? I'm flat lucid options completely right now. No, why not just sell your cost and let the profit rise tomorrow? I covered everything. It's already done. Peace of mind, my guy. I mean, it's good, but if you have that right, if I was Sarge, I would have sold, I would say, 80% and let 20% run, right? But if Lucid dropped like 30%, I won't have any regrets of me covering too soon. But if it goes up 10%, I'm like, oh, I took profit anyway, so... No risk, no harm with this, I think. Yeah. Plus, more than a time value, time premium. So. I hear. Yeah. I hear. Two different approaches. Uh, exclusive. I saw you unmuted there. Oh, it's too late. It was, were you throwing in a potential trade? Market's closed. Yeah. yeah. That's well, what was, what it, was it? It was Datadog. I noticed a volume surge at the last two minutes. And then I, I hopped over to the option chart and started going through some of the chains and I noticed uh, somebody picked up some pretty large volume. Oh, on, yeah. You know, 137s. I see that now. So somebody it's put tough. about uh, 320, 250k. Yeah, so there's about almost 2,000 contracts traded. So yeah, that's a, it's a Wait, pretty large position. Wait, where are the other 500? I see well, I'm not looking at option and... flow data. I look at the actual charts in the chain. Ah, so like the, the volume is... You know, what, what do you see what, that on? Like the actual option chain. Oh, oh, you're just looking at the actual. Okay, got it. Got yeah, it, got like it. the option tape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the th- that's the thing with the um with option flow data and like and again I'm not super 
familiar with the option flow because I just haven't really been uh, accustomed to it. Like I only started using it just a few months back. So it's, um, you know, although it's a really cool tool, I just, I can't rely on that to, to find, you know, trade setups or anything like that. I just use it to confirm a bias I have maybe technically or fundamentally, but nothing more. Are you just looking on the same strike for different dates and adding them up? Yeah. I mean, I just do the math really quick in my head. Okay. So you just went through like the Jan 21s and whatever else there was and just look yeah, at the 137. You know, yeah, when you got the option chain, you can see, you know, 40, 50 strikes, however many you have on your preset chart. So you can, you can just see the strike, you can see what the volume is and whatever you have selected on your brokers. But, you know, you can pull up the option chart too. So if you're looking at the candles and you see in the past 10 minutes, you know, 2,000 contracts have been traded, that's, you know, that's kind of, I guess there's more than one way to do it, but that's how I prefer. That's what I'm used to doing versus using option flow. It's just quicker for me, I guess. Cool. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely fair. Um, yeah. I, I'm more familiar with using the option flow. I guess it's just the, the, the layout of it just kind of works better for me, but I do hear exactly what you're saying. And I do see exactly what you said. I mean, that came in at two fifty-seven and 30 seconds. So that, or, well, three fifty-seven. everyone else is on ESD. Fuck my life. CSD. Ugh. Uh, but yeah, basically with two and a half minutes left to close, they came in pretty heavy on that. Um, so that definitely could see that spike. And you were also seeing a volume spike, you said, within the shares. Yeah. So, you know, when, whenever I see, um, so whenever I cycle, so I'm cycling through charts, you know, like every two to three seconds, if I see, you know, if, if based on the time frame that I had pulled up, you know, I'll go through a couple charts and I'll just cycle through different tickers. And when I see, when I pull up Datadog and it's the same with Google, you know what I mean? So I'm looking at Google and I see a volume surge in the last 15 minutes. I look at Datadog and I see a volume surge in the last 15 minutes. I go over to Microsoft and I see a volume surge in the last 15 minutes. I'm noticing a trend. So, you know, I'm looking through all these software clouds, you know, all these communications. I'm looking through all of those rapidly and that's how I come across the Datadog trades because I notice a volume spike in the candles. I go over to the broker and I look at the option chain. Oh wow, look, there's a 2,000 you know spike in volume. So that that's the easiest way for me to find something is just cycling through charts at rapid speed. Love to see it. What's up, Evan? Yeah, we just closed. I just want to get some quick news things out there. You did say Google there. I did see a headline that YouTube is shutting down their original content division. Uh, so that's happening. I saw after the bell. Nothing too big. I don't know if people really care. I know people care too much about these companies. MicroStrategy, MSTR, uh, will be reporting earnings after Mark's close on Tuesday, February 1st. And then Interactive Brokers, IBRK, I'm sure a bunch of you use the platform. Uh, they just reported earnings. EPS was in line with expectations and revenue was a miss. Who uses them? The demos revenue. Imagine using IBRK. Imagine revenue trading. miss was actually like by like 70 million. But yeah, sorry. Imagine trading with massive leverage on IBKR. And yeah, still losing who would money. do that? Like IBKR couldn't be me ever. Yeah, trading. Well, probably because whoever was doing it was you know long AMC. So with leverage too, right? For the leverage, I heard. Oh boy. Okay. All right. So we ran through an hour of power hour today. Um, I think it's time that we roll into – I mean, we can roll through one or two more topics and then some wrap-up. Evan, do you have anything else planned? Um, no, I do not. Actually, a couple of things just crossed. Peloton will be reporting earnings after the market's closed on Tuesday, February 8th. Um, Gilead will be reporting earnings. Um, 
after the markets close on Tuesday, February 1st. Uh, but yeah, no, I am free. Actually, Starbucks uh, announced they're going to be having their Q1 earnings report on Tuesday, February 1st after the markets close. That one's happening as well. Um, but yeah, I am down to keep going as well. Actually, dude, I'm seeing a Ford just announced a meeting as well. Um, that is going to be... I'll keep reading on that one, but yeah, I'm down to continue. Sorry. Didn't well, Citrix yeah, get purchased today too? Say that again. Sorry. Sorry. If, sorry if I was interrupting, but I think Cit- Citrix Ooh. got purchased today too by Elliot or, or someone like that and, and, and taken private. So just, I mean, just another sign of, of the M&A train starting to roll again. I did not see that, uh, but definitely uh, I'll believe your word for it. Um, what else was going on? I thought I saw a few more things that were happening. I mean, I think the obvious look right here would be to see if we see financials pop back throughout the rest of the week. We also, I think, ended up seeing a pretty strong overall day for, you know, gas, oil, energy, things along those lines. Pretty sure uh, XLE, right? They finished uh, finished with a pretty, yeah, they finished green. It actually ended up dipping during the middle of the day. I guess that sector was a little bit conflated. Um, Gerg, do you see Gush ended up, uh, it's, I mean, it had a bit of a Bro, down day today. Bro, it's back but... over Washington State. Like, nothing happened. Ooh. Wait, actually, sorry. This Ford news. I'm sorry. They're going to take a fourth quarter gain of $8.2 billion on Ford's equity investment in Rivian. It's going to be included on their Q4 earnings, is what they just came out and said. So, they sold the equity. I don't know if that's what it necessarily means. I think it's just kind of like they're marking it to market and kind of up, upping the value of it. Yeah. Stock's only up six cents since the close. So... We'll see I that means sold, uh, oh, Rivian was down 9% of that again. So, Sarge, maybe you'll understand this. Ford will reclassify its $900 million first quarter 2020, 2021 non-cash gain on the Rivian investment as a special item. A step Ford said in, in October it would take after the Rivian's IPO. Oh, it's so non-cash, right? So, they're still on the equity. Yeah. It hasn't been exercised. The game is there on paper, right? But they haven't sold that with the uh, The game hasn't been released. Yeah, and it's probably worth a lot less now than it was during <laughs> when they closed the quarter. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Overall, did we have, Evan, I know you usually put it out, like some of the biggest movers today? I need another uh, I need another 10 minutes on that one. It's FinViz, unfortunately. I have not gotten to the premium yet, which if you do have, you'll be able to see it around now, but it's yet 15 minutes after. Yeah. So I'll, I'll check back in with that. But definitely, you know, large cap overall got pretty killed today. Um, Amazon, Tesla, Google, Microsoft, Apple, all finishing in the mega red Netflix uh, as well. And then some of the other stuff within, I mean, I guess all of entertainment really finished in the red pretty much financials, you know, JP Morgan, as well as BAC, WFC, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley. Uh, I mean, Goldman Sachs finished, I think it continued its drop from earlier today. So we were looking at Goldman Sachs on the earlier call today. Ah, I guess it actually didn't. It was down in the morning about almost 9%, and it finished down about 7%. So it didn't come down too far. So we'll see if there is any pop back from there. We're looking at it in different levels. Um, but I wouldn't say, you know, anything's at a downturn there right now. It's just been kind of traversing sideways for a little bit. Uh, we had talked about PayPal already. We, uh, you know, Brad kind of walked us through some of their governance, why he likes starting a position there. 
I would take a look at PayPal. And I think, you know, for Brady starting it for fundamental reasons, it all is within these things. And you're listening, understand that we have a variety of investors up here who have different styles, right? So if your style is to get in and get out, uh, you know, PayPal, you may look at it and say, oh, you know, it's in a bit of a downtrend. Although there is potential support for sure here from that back in October 23rd, you know, November area as well as September. Um, it's kind of sitting on that level of support. So, hey, maybe maybe it is catching a bottom. But for Brad, I know that he is more of a long-term investor. He's saying, you know, I believe in this company's ability, um, you know, over multiple years. So he's not super worried about this short-term volatility here within the market. Over long periods of time, we do typically see the overall market head upwards, specifically areas like tech, healthcare, getting a ton of investments nowadays, a ton of money coming into them. So a good amount of opportunity all around. Uh, I think we're going to do maybe one more topic and then we'll do uh, a bit of wrap up just because I do have another meeting coming up. So for one more topic, uh, Evan, I can throw it to you if there's anything that you specifically want to touch on. There are a couple of stories, you know, coming up this week. We've seen, um, oh, this was interesting. Did anybody know this? Uh, Sarge, I actually want to see if you know this. What was the best performing commodity in 2021? Off the top of my head, I don't know, but I would... I'm going to guess aluminum. Is that a, is that trade like a commodity? Uh, the top. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a good, it's a good question. Can, can I, I guess? Know. Yeah, yeah. Please guess. Was it lumber? I uh, well, at one point it probably was, um, but it didn't finish. Uh, in fact, I think everybody will be pretty happy to hear. Any, any any other guesses? Yeah, feel free to guess. I was going to go oil and gas or something like that. I feel like you'd be pumped up about that with your trade of the week left. Uh, it was not oil and gas. Um, so, I like so, so it's actually so. I, I really felt like somebody on this panel was going to guess it because somebody on this panel really, really loves this commodity. Orange juice. Uranium. No. no. Uranium. Ah. Okay. So number one was lithium. I thought Stop oh, was going to okay. cut in here hit us with lithium, which had 477% uh, performance. However, number five, which was actually pretty close to the other four that came in, was actually coffee. Coffee went up 78.44% in the price per pound in 2021. Where's rhodium? Somebody somebody on Twitter is asking you about rhodium. Rhodium. Is rhodium on there? Is it listed? Uh, this is per market. No. This is per business insider. <laughs> it was lithium, ethanol, coal, oat, coffee were the top five. Then Did gasoline, you say oats? Oats, yeah. Oats were yeah, number four. Too, up 90% per bushel. That's me loading up on Cheerios during the pandemic. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, and crude oil was number 10. So do you guys know what's the best one so far this year? The best, the best one so far, so far is off the tiers of retail percent. traders. No, something else. At ethanol, so ethanol so far this year is up sixty percent, and it ethanol. hasn't been half half a month. Yeah, sixty, six zero, sixty percent. Breath. Nice. Look it up. Good. Ethanol. Uh, sure. Just an FYI, um, TGNA is moving after hours. What's that? Tegna Incorporated. I also noticed um, DHR, Danaher Corporation. So it loaded up right at the uh, golden pocket, the major golden pocket. 
So you saw like tremendous volume into the close as well. So that led me to set an alert um, for it to break back into the previous uh, week close. And, you know, that that's another one too. But there's something going on with TGNA. Is there news? Does anybody see news? So what, TGNA? Yeah, TGN is a Nancy, A is an Apple. Let me check Bloomberg. Uh, I think uh, Kramer's oh, child yeah. bought, yeah, bought yeah. some Denaher today. So, I'm selling. Uh, I'm selling Denver, some here. General Apollo closed he heard Kramer a $9 billion deal for Tegna. There were $9 billion deal coming out. I, I think I think Kramer gets a lot of shit, but but he's he he's a he's a good guy for the most part. I I, I like I, I'm gonna throw some support behind Jim Kramer, even though he blocked me on Twitter for no good reason. But <laughs> did he? Yeah. He did. Yeah, I, have no, I, I really have no clue why. Uh, but I am blocked by by Jim Kramer on Twitter. Yeah, you must have said something one day when he was in a bad mood. Yeah. Or good mood. No, no, he he has to be in a bad mood to block you. When he's in a good mood, he doesn't block anybody. He he blocked somebody yesterday for commenting on his toes. <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy Chill. <laughs> he is he is very knowledgeable. Yeah. I, I, luckily, he hasn't blocked me. Would have been awkward when I met him in person. Uh, yeah. That was that was everybody's comment when I met him was ask him to unblock me. I think Brad, you asked, right? Yeah, I think I did. I, it has not worked yet, but I'm, I'm keep trying. I was astonished he didn't block me because. I asked him if he was allowed, if he, if anybody in his family trades stocks, and then he was like, no. And then I asked him if his wife is allowed to trade stocks, and then he didn't block me. So, I don't know. It was interesting. You, Brad, we should go on flag to New York to the exchange and confront him face to face. I'm sorry. Can, can you say that one more time? I, I, you should I go to I... NYSC, confront him face to face, and tell him I'm... to unblock us both. Storm, storm the New York Stock Exchange. Is that what you're telling me to do? I mean, I mean I'm you there. Can go get him there, on there. You gotta get him on. Get him back. You can go there. You don't have to break in at the Capitol. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna think about that, and, and I'll, I'll get sure. back to you for sure. sure. You can sure. take both there the border first. I mean, yeah, without the vaccine, I can't even leave Canada. Bro. It's a bit messed up, but in the future, we will plan that. That's what I hey, was just saying. Just throwing this out there. Uh, news you can get AMT Antonio news. Brown's vaccine card. Sorry, Evan, all you. <laughs> You're good, dude. Yeah, I'll, I'll allow the punchline in there. But AMD, they're reporting earnings after the market's closed on Tuesday, February 1st. Yeah, I hope everybody hope everybody got that. Dob, uh, you like this one, though. Nikola. Nikola's reporting earnings Tuesday, uh, is this Tuesday, February 24th. Looks like before the market's open. What earnings? That one's Nikola. AMD was after the markets closed on Tuesday, February first. You wait. When does Nikola report? Tuesday. That is Nikola is Thursday, February twenty fourth, and that's before the markets uh, open. So we still got a little that's time. That's pretty on that. far out. I usually start yeah. drinking about three days in advance of Nikola earning. So just give me the heads up. I got time. You. Thank you. Thank you. Yo, TSDR, what's up? I just popped up here because Doc Talk left out the best part of that story about Jim Cramer, which was. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, he called me Stock Talk Weekly, like W E A K. Yes. That was, that, that's that was funny. That was really funny. That was like the best comeback I've ever seen from Jim. <laughs> that's all I got. How's it going, everybody? That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, not bad. Um, I do, uh, I think on that note, 
uh, might move us into a little bit of just, you know, going around, getting some final comments. Um, been having fun chilling up here. If everybody's been enjoying, once again, we are doing this Power Hour every single week. It will be hosted by the Bullish Rippers account. Again, I am Gov Blacksburg. I run the Wolf account. You can see if you're coasting. I will be running spaces from the Bullish Rippers account. You can also see Evan. He's on the Stock Market News account up here co-hosting. He tweets from this account. So he also writes a newsletter from this account. So if you're liking, you know, a really strong combination of awesome spaces with great guests as well as, you know, great tweets, look through the tweets that Evan's been putting out on this account. First off, like a majority of them blow up, which is awesome. There's got a lot of humor. It's got a lot of, you know, news and just insight, different things along those lines. Really, really great um, graphics are often found on this. So we're definitely trying to get this account right now through. Um, we're at 13.3K. We'd love to continue to pump that up. Uh, again, we're going to have consistent spaces. So this one will be consistent. We're also going to be doing another space on Thursday. That's going to be long-term investing oriented. So we'll be having investors come and give full-on pitches on individual stocks on that Thursday space. And then this week, we're also going to do the weekly howl on Friday will be hosted by Bullish Rippers. Uh, so be sure to come to that as well. So you're going to get a number of spaces. And yeah, we'll be talking about you know stocks. Maybe we'll mix in some crypto talk as well. Just a little bit of thing along every single line. Uh, with that, I think we can move into a little bit of wrap-up. Before we do, Evan, is there anything else you wanted to add? No, that was perfect. I'll add my stuff at the end like normal for a wrap-up. So that's good to all my speakers. As we go around this and as they're giving the wrap-ups, you know, a bunch of them will say it. But genuinely, make sure you check out every single one of our speakers that was up here today. They are amazing, fantastic follows, and will only make your timeline better. But yeah, back to you, Gav, to, to get us going. Yeah, perfect. Okay. Uh, just moving into wrap-ups, this would be – you know, anything that we haven't covered, uh, feel free to, you know, put out there as well as if there's any stocks that maybe you're watching after hours that you're going to be looking at going into tomorrow. Gerd just hates wrapping up. My man just dips. All right. Exclusive. Would you like to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, uh, it, it's, um, you know, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of names that were bought up today, you know, after they've been beaten down, um, particularly in tech. But you know, when I see, you know, when I see things like Facebook kind of being in like a pretty much a well-defined range all day, and then I look out over at the volume and I'm watching it after hours, and I see over two and a half, almost two and a half million shares traded. So I know that there's still stuff shaping up, and you know, it's not really cause to be bearish or bullish yet. It's still just reactionary for me. Um, you know, cause when, whenever that bigger move happens versus just it being complete chop suey action, you know, that's when I'll, I'll be ready to, um, size up versus just playing these sh short scalps. Um, you know, I'm not going to say specific dollar amounts, but you know, just smaller amounts versus bigger, larger amounts. But, um, yeah, you know, uh, I remain optimistic on some, some of the plays I was calling out earlier that I'm in. And, uh, yeah, I'm just excited to see what happens in the rest of the week. You know, there's some pretty decent earnings. I might actually play an earning lot or two just because the action in the market hours is so boring. I might just throw some profit at some earning lottos, and hopefully I catch one that explodes. So, um, yeah, nothing really too crazy to go over. Um, just kind of be prepared for either direction, really. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you being a part of this. Okay. Keep it rolling. Catherine. Yeah, thanks oh, for having me. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Catherine? 
I will also keep it simple. So obviously earnings, earnings, earnings. That's really going to be one of the biggest news drivers for the rest of the week, I think, unless we get some other big M&A activity, um, which could totally happen. Um, but besides for that, Rev, Rev Shark, who works with me and Sarge over at the street in Real Money, tweeted out today that he was seeing some bear market action. So watching the market tomorrow will be a focus since I do want to see whether that holds up. And what that could mean, especially going into the Fed meeting, even though, as Sarge said, I mean, we're not really going to see much out of the Fed yet. And then finally, um, just the fact that global oil prices surged to a seven-year high, um, what can we, can the market keep up that momentum into tomorrow's action, or tomorrow's open? Sweet. And if anyone's unfamiliar, Catherine hosts regularly our Wednesday space that is with the street so that'll be tomorrow at power hour as well we'll be back on her and stock market news are both the co-hosts of that the street will be the main host on that and Catherine Wood will be moderating so definitely excited to be doing that and yeah looking forward to it all right Brad any closing comments uh sorry I I was uh I was not at the at the unmute button but yeah i really uh, have nothing more to add a uh, great conversation as always uh, excited to keep doing these they're always they're always fun i always learn something um i always meet someone new and and, and get to learn from them so i'm um, excited to keep doing these and, and thanks for having me on so frequently and excited to keep being on so frequently so uh have a great day everyone 100 percent. looking forward to hearing another you know full-on long-term case from you on thursday Awesome. Sarge? I just noticed a few white candles for almost all the banks going into the bell. So they closed at least strong on a weekday. Disney held its own today. Uh, North Korea, China, uh, Russia, they're all causing problems these days. Uh, The defense sector was rather strong. Lockheed was higher. uh, L.H. Harris was stronger. Northrop hung in there. Uh, Rada Electronics, R-A-D-A, they're a small Israeli defense contractor that makes uh, affordable vehicle-mounted uh, radar systems for, you know, for the larger defense contractors, and uh, they make a lot of them, and they are, they were a 5% today, uh, and I know, I watch that name because it's in the stocks under 10 uh, portfolio that I manage for the street, so that's a, that's a sneaky name little right there. It's not really that expensive yet. I just noticed had a nice pop today. Perfect. Thank you. Appreciate you being a part of this, Sarge. You bet. Awesome. And Sock Talk. Yeah, man, I kind of I've given a couple closing remarks today, but I mean, I'll just keep it short and sweet. I think this is a year of trading and investing where, you know, I said this exact same thing earlier, but I'll say it in, in a nutshell. You know, this is a year of trading and investing where new traders really have to understand macroeconomics in order to you know effectively rotate their portfolios and gain exposure to the right sectors at the right times you know if you are a passive investor in this climate it's tough to do you know i tweeted this earlier today and and you know i a lot of my friends are purely investors a lot of my really good friends my in real life friends and, and my friends on twitter as well are you know passive long term investors and i don't think there's anything wrong with that however you know in, in, there's specific years you know every 5 to 10 to 12 years in the market where it, it doesn't make sense to be blindly and you know uh, indifferently long on, on a basket of names it just doesn't make 
capital sense in the in terms of capital allocation. And so, you know, if you're one of those people, I'm not going to tell you to change your strategy. But w- what I will say is, is that, you know, there's no harm in rotating your portfolio. And even if you have a basket of stocks identified that, you know, in a, in a 10, 12, 15 year time horizon, you're extremely bullish on, that's absolutely fine. But, you know, to be again, indifferently long on whatever basket of names that may be through the course of the year without any sort of rotation or adjustment to me is really just wasting capital and wasting opportunity costs because the likelihood that you can get a better entry price or a better cost basis on a variety of those names, especially the growth tech, you know, high multiple names. um, To me, it's just kind of ignoring the facts and, you know, not not being willing to adjust, whether that's out of ego or whether that's out of complacency or whether that's out of habit. And, you know, all three of those things can can be what justifies an investor or even a trader to, you know, be complacent and be indifferent. But the reality is, is that doing that makes you experience these massive drawdowns in your equity value. And, you know, you can sit there and stare and watch it or you can do something about it and be a trader or an investor that is capable of capitalizing off different, you know, economic climates, different, you know, market sentiment, um, you know, playing upside and downside, which is another thing as well. And I mean, I know I'm getting long winded here at this point, but that's another thing that bothers me as well. You know, a lot of long term minded people and investors are really, really hesitant to play downside ever, you know, uh, or they're hesitant to place any sort of short term trades which, you know, to me is really just pigeonholing yourself in this kind of long draw of, of capital investment where, you know, it, it, people may not view it as a gamble, but it really is. I think one of the greatest, you know, fallacies in, in long-term investing, especially growth investing, I think one of the biggest fallacies is this idea that being patient and holding and dollar cost averaging is a surefire strategy to make money. And the reality is, is that it isn't because, you know, if you look at the history of, of, of stocks in the United States and you look at all of the high power growth companies that have emerged over the years, there have been many, you know, upstarts and many, you know, Marquettas and, and all these types of stocks where, you know, they, they jump on the scene, they have, you know, they post three, four, five quarters of explosive growth. You know, they seem to have a moat and they draw in all of these investors and people are willing to pay almost any price for the stock. And then, you know, three, four, five years later, a lot of those companies are gone. In fact, most of them are gone. So, you know, holding, hoping, dollar cost averaging, it sounds like a surefire strategy, right? People always lean on Warren Buffett's words and they lean on you know the great investors' words where they're like, oh, you know, the, the, the stock the stock market is a place that transfers wealth from the patient to the impatient. Like, yeah, that's all fine and dandy. But the reality is, is that if you're being a growth investor from the perspective of not passively investing in indexes, because, you know, passively investing in indexes is not relevant to what I'm saying. But if you're a stock picker, whether that's as a trader or an investor, and you're, you've convinced yourself of the illusion that dollar cost averaging into high conviction names is a surefire way to get paid, I'm sorry to tell you that that just by math alone and probability alone, you're likely wrong. You know, if you're in a basket of 10, if you're investing into a basket of 10 growth tech names and your strategy is, hey, over the next five to 10 years, I'm going to just DCA into these names. 
and the stocks will inevitably trade higher and higher and higher, that's not a surefire outcome. And so, you know, being adaptable and, and, and rotating in and out of stocks, um, you know, whether that's every week or every day or every month or every two months, you know, doing it at some specified turn of time, I think is critical. Otherwise, you're going to be the type of person that sits there. You know, bear markets can last six months, eight months, a year, a year plus. And so otherwise, you're going to be the kind of person that sits there and watch your portfolio go up and down, you know, or even just completely down and down and down. Um, and you're just going to be sitting there holding and hoping and waiting. And so I don't think that's a strategy. And, you know, I'm really of the mindset that traders and investors should be actively managing and allocating their capital in the most intelligent way possible. Is that easy to do? Absolutely not. Does it require, you know, a little bit more awareness and a little bit uh, more conviction in, in the decisions you're making? Yes. But, you know, in my experience, shifting from the passive DCA buy and hold investor that I was in my early years of trading and investing to being nimble and rotating from sector to sector and being willing to involve myself and expose myself to hot themes in the market has massively increased my returns. Um, and so, you know, and, I, and I'm not saying you can't invest, right? Like one of my longest held positions is Tesla, which I've held since 2016, and it has rewarded me very well. But there were a dozen other positions that I owned in 2016 that if I had just held till now and dollar cost averaged into, I would be in a very bad predicament. And so understand that, you, you know, your ability to predict stocks and predict the outcomes of companies to find companies that can sustain massive growth, can sustain their moats, can, can, can sustain changes in the competitive landscape, you know, can sustain management prowess and execution prowess over years and years and years and years, that is a tall task. And you might be right on a few of them, right? You might find those opportunities, but the stocks, the Apples and the Amazons and the Teslas are, you know, generational opportunities. They don't just come every day. And most of the high growth, high powered stocks that seem to have apparent moats, the vast majority of them, I would say 80 plus percent of them crumble and die uh, they're either delisted or they go bankrupt or any number of things. And so just be careful is the bottom line of what I'm saying and, and be nimble and be willing to you know move your portfolio around and adapt to the, to the changing market climate. And if you don't understand how macroeconomics and Federal Reserve policy is impacting stocks, then educate yourself. It really doesn't take that long to learn about, you know, uh, treasury yields and to learn about interest rate hikes and learn about quantitative easing versus quantitative tightening. It doesn't take a long time to learn about these things. All the information is available for free. So educate yourself and stay nimble and always prioritize intelligent allocation of capital because that is the only way that you will consistently outperform the market every single year. And I think that should be everybody's goal, whether you're an investor or a trader. Very well put. Hope everybody's taking those notes.